Welcome to Amplify. On this week's show... For me, it was a miracle, you know, that in first place, such a project could happen. For the rehearsal process, it was different in that there is this awareness that we're making something during a pandemic. We talked to some of the composers in Irish National Opera's 20 Shots of Opera event, which launches on the 17th of December. You're listening to The Gift by Evangelia Rigaki, one of the composers who features in this project and who you'll hear from later. This is episode 31. I'm joined by CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. How are you? I'm well, Jonathan, thanks. So in a year completely upturned by the pandemic, with live music so badly hit as a result, it's heartening to be covering this project from Irish National Opera, which sees 20 Irish composers writing opera shorts in collaboration with different singers, writers and directors. Oh, I think, you know, it's absolutely heartening. It's it's sort of consoling. You know, you've summed it up there, Jonathan. I mean, 20 composers, 20 shots of opera, a burst in five or eight minutes of all the, the feast for the eyes and the ears that opera is, you know, and, and each with their own creative team. As you say, composers, writers, directors, full sets, lighting, costumes, the RT concert orchestra, but no audience in the room. Um, and all the staging thought through with that very particular focus in mind, because these 20 shots of opera are exactly that, operas that were shot operas that are filmed, filmed versions. And so everything has changed, of course, in how we present music in an engaging way to online audiences. And so, you know, this filmed version offered different opportunities and different priorities for the artistic teams. That's what I was struck by in, in your interviews um, throughout uh, this episode. You know, this this different priority for the director and dramatic devices um, that the composers uh, are using. And um, this was really really a format for the times that we're in, trying to engage online audiences with opera. And I'm really looking forward to the results. You know, um, it offered the INO team the chance to engage with 20 composers. And I think it really celebrates, Jonathan, the diversity of genres in contemporary music in Ireland. You know, so vibrant, so diverse. Um, you know, there's great diversity in the selection of composers, different generations, different approaches, very gender balanced project. We, we should uh, say as well. And, you know, from some of our most established composers, internationally renowned composers to mid-career composers and emerging composers. And, you know, all being set the same challenges, right? You know, no, ma- no matter how much opera uh, one of them has written and maybe, you know, some have written none at all, they are all being presented with the same challenges of this online format and all being presented with the same opportunities of a really dedicated creative team. So let's hear now from some of the composers whose opera shorts will be available as part of this online event on Irish National Opera's website on 17th of December. You'll hear from Michael Gallen, Emma O'Halloran, Evangelia Regaki and Aina Brennan. 
I also spoke to INO's artistic director Fergus Scheel and singer Orla Boylan, who performs in Michael Gallen's work at a loss. Michael Gallen, and I am the composer and director of Atalas. My creative path into it began with the decision to work with Orla Boylan. Orla and I had chatted a few times, you know, over the years about some sort of collaboration and had never just really found the right moment or the right subject matter to to work with. Once I found out that Orla was free and eager to collaborate on the project, that was sort of then when I sat down and began thinking about what that would be. Over the past year or so, you know, I I had two aunts and an uncle that passed away. It wasn't COVID related, but I suppose there was a bit of a sense this year of everybody being a little bit closer to the veil. And I was interested in investigating that moment, you know, where a loved one is about to pass between life and death. I'm Orla Boylan and I worked with Michael Gallen on his piece At a Loss for uh, 20 Shots of Opera by Irish National Opera. It was Michael contacted me. It was through a mutual friend, a photographer. Um, she put the two of us in contact, uh, Frances Marshall. She suggested that we'd be a good combination. So that had happened back in 2016 was the first time. And Michael came to the house a few times. We discussed various projects. And when this, uh, the 20 Shots of Opera, when that came about, it just seemed to fit. It was all materialised very quickly then. And his piece, At a Loss, was very pertinent to me because I was at a loss. My mother passed away last year. I think he found that it gave him material and it gave me meaning. It's kind of something that obviously none of us ever want to experience, you know, but at the same time, it's such a fundamental primal moment and primal experience that that all of us have to go through but you know it's unusual that as a society we'd be engaging with that energy you know so closely so the subject matter is basically around a, a woman who's sitting in a room at nighttime and she's awake and the room is kind of lit by a screen and she's waiting on word of her mother her mother's passing but isn't able to be there at the hospital with her and in this moment she sort of tries to attune herself to the energy around her I suppose maybe to communicate in some final way with the the mother's spirit and is frustrated by all of these noises that are around her in the walls the kind of electrical noises that would keep us awake at night. As the piece goes on she starts to recognize that in that noise Um, outside there is a sort of a life energy that's quite similar to the life energy that illuminates and um, electrifies the body 
and I suppose starts thinking about electricity and life as being similar forces and then wonders about what the source of that force is. I'm Fergus Shield, Artistic Director of Irish National Opera. So the project is something we developed at relatively short notice. Normally in opera, we, our planning horizons are quite long and we have the next two, three, four years even planned. And of course, with the circumstances in 2020, with COVID-19, lots of what we had planned to do in 2020 has got postponed into 21, 22, 23. By about the summer, it became clear that the, the opera we had planned producing the Gaiety Theatre in November was not going to happen. And I thought of, rather than doing one opera with a small cast or something, I thought it would be good to still try and preserve some of the ambition and scale of the original project, which was going to be Rossini's William Tell. It's obviously nothing like uh, William Tell. It's entirely different what we're doing, but it's no less interesting. And it's probably something that we wouldn't have done in a normal course of events. So it allows us to build new relationships with a lot of artists including obviously 20 composers, but also writers, directors, designers, videographers, animators, different people are involved in it. I'm looking at it like this big creative burst of energy and creativity. My opera is called The Weight and the libretto is by my uncle Marco Halloran. It's performed by Naomi O'Connell and directed by Michael Barker Caven. It's basically about a woman who has made the decision to stay in her house as it's being flooded. So she's um, waiting upstairs and um, the rain is pouring down incessantly and she can hear and feel and see the waters rising. As she looks outside her window, she sees a horse drown in the yard next door. It's a really awful scene and there's some sort of recognition that if she doesn't do something or leave, this will be her fate too. There's something tying her to that place, so she, she stays and she waits. Libretto Mark came to me with a few different ideas. Naomi is an incredible actor, um, so it felt 
like it would be very exciting to do something kind of dark and, and she could experience or, or like work through a bunch of different emotions. So I showed Naomi the options and Naomi was like, let's go with this one. For me, I, I like the idea of not exactly telling an audience what to think and I think it's open enough that it could be um, taken as a metaphor for climate change or it could be, you know, something that is mostly mental or like th these these rooms that we trap ourselves in or these prisons that we trap ourselves in. So it could be a, a lot of different things, but I think the, the emotions behind them tend to be the same. So. Um, yeah, I won't. I won't say exactly what it is, and I think I don't. I don't even know if Mark really um, had a specific thing in mind. It was just sort of trying to capture that particular feel. I definitely found that uh, a lot of composers did react to the events of 2020. And when I commissioned the operas, I didn't ask for specifically, I want 20 operas about COVID-19 or something like that. <laughs> I don't know if anyone would want that. Um, but I did say to the composers that I'd like them to think about the world we live in now and to think about broader issues and what can opera say about today's world and today's society. One or two of them were COVID-specific. Uh, so, for example, Andrew Hamilton's opera is about his experience in a COVID ward in Birmingham, and it's an utterly terrifying piece. And, and then you have other people like uh, Jen Kirby, who's written quite a humorous reaction to all these new words like lockdown and Zoom and super spreader and things like that, that we've come into the language in 2020. You know, there's a lot of operas about things to do with environmentalism, about, you know, climate change, things that are current in the world that are maybe not COVID specific, but are, you know, part of what we're dealing with today. She said, I'm going to Sicily, Rome, Sardinia. Try not to die before I get home. My name is Evangelia Rigaki, and I am head of music at Trinity College Dublin. I developed a work alongside playwright Marina Carr. It is called The Gift. It's a, a double monologue. A father is dying, his daughter leaves for a trip, then returns to his deathbed just as he is passing away. And they live in different worlds and have little to say to each other. Both speak, but most of the time not to each other. It is as if they are sharing their thoughts with us, the things they think yet will not probably say to each other and they cannot say to each other. And we, the audience, get to know more than either of them. For 15 years she refused to speak to me. Before that 10, before that five, barred from her wedding, kept from my grandchildren. It was the shoulders of their dead husbands Fastening their lips fiercely to the jewel gold 
no, it's a dream of me to collaborate with Marina Carr. And Fergus initiated this collaboration. And then Marina asked me what, you know, we should do. And I said to her, Marina, you know, anything you want, I will be happy to set it to music. So this is 100% Marina. I would have spoken to all the composers and then I would have teamed them up with directors and talked talk to each of the composers about like, do you want to work with a librettist or do we want to work with a text that already exists? And then try and find the right director who would be correct for that and casting them, you know, finding the right singers that would match. That's the way I like to think of my job is to assemble the ingredients. I died for her long ago. Cut me from her heart. She said I tried to take her down. If you had It is a death scene. And of course, you know, the most famous piece about death and dying is Mozart's Requiem. And I kept hearing it about it when I was reading her text. And I said, okay, I might as well go for it. <laughs> so the piece, it actually, you know, offers allusions to Mozart's Requiem not in terms of the orchestration or, you know, it's not a pastiche Mozart Requiem, but it, in terms of the trajectory, there were opportunities to do so in the structure of the piece. For example, um, you know, I uh, separated the scenes like Rex Tremende, Lacrimosa, and it actually goes well with the scene because, for example, Rex Tremende, the daughter, corresponds to the daughter's memory of having to break free from her father's clutches, so it's all furry. And then there is Lacrimosa, and then the father contemplates how he was given the last rites. So somehow it fall into places. I wait for her to return. I drink the soup, write a poem. My wife's cousin gives me the last rites. Hi for an hour after it. I read the mystics. If I don't read something spiritual every day, I get very down. Will she never come? I tell them to close the curtains. Look your last on all things lovely. It's really fascinating to see all these voices that we have, you know, in terms of Irish composers. And of course, although there's 20, which is a lot, that's still only, uh, you know, there's still loads more composers who are interested in writing operas and, and have and write really interestingly in the field. So this is just one slice of uh, people. That's very much part of our of how I see the company defining its identity. We're, we're still a young company. This is only our third year. And we're all about seeing a new creation. The creation of new opera is a really important part of the overall picture. But in normal circumstances, we might get to work with one, possibly two composers a year. So the fact of getting to work with 20 at such an early stage in our own development as a company is really exciting. Will turn. 
My name is Aina Brennan and I'm a composer and graphic designer based in Dublin. Rupture is a piece that is in a sense a mother of other pieces and they all base themselves around an idea of disconnect. For the opera, I thought it'd be great to distill all of these ideas and have a dialogue between a woman and her conscience. So the main premise behind this piece is a woman having an ongoing fight within herself. I wanted to definitely draw on, you know, the classic melodrama, we'll say, that exists in opera between good and evil. I decided to go with mezzo-soprano and soprano, and soprano being the main woman and mezzo-soprano being her conscience. Um, so it was very fun to kind of delve into that notion of how would a conscience try and niggle and bring down a person and try and take you know their ideals and dreams and beat them down and try and crush their spirit but then have that woman turn on their conscience and win the fight against evil. expose ourselves it could be social media or it could be the news or anything that makes us question our belief systems or our behavior definitely manifests themselves into the conscience as well I figured I would take situations in life so trying to get a mortgage trying to have a child wanting to be fit and healthy these kind of pressures that you might have around yourself to be the proper good human being in society you know and treat those as things that the woman questions, let's say. Actually, when I started with the composers, I was thinking that we would stage these operas. You know, I thought we would do 10 in one program and 10 in another. And I had in mind we'd build one set that would encapsulate all the different worlds of the operas. But then after a while, we realized that we weren't going to have the circumstances where we could play to a live audience. So we switched midstream and said, look, we're going to do this for film. So we're working with Hugh O'Connor as film director and Hugh Schallner, who's the film editor. They're amazingly brilliant people, but they're not normally working in opera and we're not normally working with them. So we have to learn about their process. They have to learn about us. And then there's the whole rehearsal, the practicalities of rehearsing and, and, and working with people, which in the COVID times is tricky. So we have been really, really careful about hygiene, about sanitization, about ventilation, about working in a large space with small amounts of people. Uh, we ventilate rooms. The rooms are generally colder than normal. You know, we've just uh, really had to think about everything. Down to like, for example, in, a, in the, the role of a stage manager would normally be to put out all the props and everything. But now the stage manager does not touch the props. The person, the singer who uses the prop will touch the prop and take it and put it away. It took a while for everybody to get around to the idea of rehearsing with masks. And only finally, when we filmed them, did the masks come off. And then we had a different set of protocols around how you film with no masks. As a composer, like a lot of the time you're going to you're going to create the thing um, by yourself. So I think it, like the, the writing process was pretty similar. I think for the rehearsal process, it was 
different in that there is this awareness that we're making something during a pandemic. I think the musicians really had to get used to listening to each other from much further apart than they're they're used to playing. So they they're amazing. Like they really adapted to that situation. So like apart from that, it felt kind of normal, but it but it was very much you know everybody was two meters or more apart from each other and that sort of thing. I have to commend um, Irish National Opera for how professional and how safe everything was. We obviously had Zoom meetings, but I was lucky to be able to attend rehearsals um, with both the singers on their own and Joe and then uh, the sits group with the, the ensemble as well. And I think fundamentally, we were also delighted to be there. So to be in the room and actually making work was so great um, because obviously this project only really um, started rehearsals, I think, in September and recording and filming started in October. I could not be present to the rehearsals, but uh, I, I, I attended some of them through Zoom. Of course, it was not the same, but I felt I was in a good hands through Fergusil and the director, Joe Mangan, so it was not a problem. It was unusual, but there was an ongoing dialogue and I was given uh, draft recordings so I could send my feedback and there was a lot of back and forth going on. So it was not a remote uh, process. I was uh, as engaged as I could be during a piece that is being developed through a pandemic. certainly a new direction for me to work on a piece almost you know completely solo until we spoke over as the zoom call which I I found very difficult because you know there's a slight delay in the music and um and then working in the room and all the rules we had to follow and we really did follow rules I mean there were points where I just wanted to say oh God, just take the mask. I don't care. I don't care. But you didn't. And then we were in the gaiety and we were filming and there were people on cameras and it was a huge operation. It really was. I mean, it took an incredible amount of energy, of organisation, of patience to do with the rules and the forms online. I mean, it was a whole new world. But that looks like the world that we're, we're in at the moment. A lot of the work of an opera singer normally is to make somebody who's, you know, sitting way, way back in the third balcony of an opera house experience all of the emotional journey that they're on in the same way as somebody that's sitting in the front seat in the stalls. And so the level of projection, not just of the voice, but also of the drama is very, very extreme. And the second that you put something on camera, it, it really democratizes that process because everybody is experiencing the exact same proximity to the performer and the performer needs to do, I wouldn't say less, you know, I mean, it's a smaller performance, but it's probably a much more subtle one as well. 
there were things where you you knew you could you could play a little bit with the balance of the instruments and I think with um just with a sense of intimacy as well like there is a moment in it where you can um hear Naomi sort of gasp and I don't think that would carry over an orchestra in in normal you know um situations but you can kind of boost moments that are for dramatic purpose which was really exciting As soon as, let's say, all the venues closed and the rehearsals and studio spaces were closed and everyone jumped online, I kind of ran away from it a little bit. I was like, oh, no, I can't be. I don't want to do that. So luckily, throughout this pandemic, I've had income through other means. So I definitely haven't felt the, the toll in terms of income being taken away from me, um, which I'm very lucky for and appreciate. I'm very used to making music with a performance in mind I, I very rarely sit down and write something without knowing if it's going to be performed or not knowing who's going to perform it so when this came along there was a goal and there was a very clear timeline and wonderful clarity which I think made it a really really valuable experience thing I did was sing in the Adelaide Festival in Australia um, I flew home I got on a plane on St Patrick's Day and I flew home I thought I never would get in the door I was so glad to get home and really after that 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 was it until um, Michael sent me the music at various different points and we started off in whatever it was September it's very difficult as a performer to keep that enthusiasm going when you are looking at six, 12, 18 months, who knows, ahead without anything concrete in your diary. You can't always go to the piano and say, I'm going to enthusiastically sing every day. I don't care that there's nothing coming up. It just doesn't work like that. It's an emotional business. We're connected to it deeply ourselves. And, um, you know, no matter what you do, we really, well, personally, I can speak personally, I completely went into this kind of uh, a loss phase myself where I just... I had no interest. Before I moved down to Mayo, I was living in one of the Dublin City Council um, residencies in Albert College Park. 
And there's a man who earlier on in the year through the lockdown kept on coming into the park to practice the bagpipes. It was wrecking my head because I was, you know, trying to compose or trying to record or whatever. And then he went away for a while, you know, when the lockdown got more extreme. And around about probably May, June, one day I was in the house and I heard the bagpipes. And I initially had the same reaction as normal of like, oh, there's that so-and-so with the bagpipes back again. And then I walked out into the park and I sat down just over from him and I watched him perform and burst into tears. It wasn't even to do with hearing music. It was the beauty of watching somebody perform and to see, you know, somebody communicate themselves in that, you know, in that really raw way and and in a way that involves an awful lot of vulnerability and and risk. I, I just found it so beautiful. That to me is the core of, you know, why we've chosen to be in a, in a live art form, you know, and why live music has continued to flourish despite the fact that recording has been around for, you know, 120 years. So I, I think that that's, that's something that people are going to be very drawn towards again. For me, it was a miracle, you know, that in first place, such a project could happen amidst all of the, you know, shutdown of cultural things. It was like, you know, an oasis that we had something to look forward to and something to write for. And there was so much positivity, you know, around all this project. It was definitely maybe two or three months at the start of the pandemic, which I just felt, I I don't know if it was like a feeling of grief or, or I, I don't know how you describe it, but I just, I really felt so lethargic and I couldn't bring myself to, to write or create it just if it didn't feel right. And the INO project did come at a good time and the fact that there were so many composers involved, like 20 different composers um, writing their own pieces and even though we were all rehearsing and, and writing kind of by ourselves, I wouldn't have met up with any of the other composers and, and all of our singers were kept in their own groups for just for safety reasons but you, you just had a sense I guess or I did that other people were out there working away on their pieces and, and it felt like a sense of community that I had been missing. Knowing that there was other people kind of getting back to writing and, and making something special was, was really beautiful. Emma O'Halloran's The Wait ending that piece on Irish National Opera's 20 Shots of Opera event. Be sure to watch this and all the other Shots of Opera from the 17th of December at irishnationalopera.ie. We include all the details in the show notes for this podcast. That's all for this week. Until then, bye for now and thanks for listening.